0: Hello to everyone. I'm thankful for another opportunity to study. I thank each and every one of you for listening. I hope the Word of God is a help to you. I hope that we can somehow help you to see and understand a little better what's being said in the Word of God. And we're moving along pretty good in our study of Elijah and Elisha. We're in 2 Kings chapter number three, and there's a a lot of reading here, so we'll try to break it up into sections and uh, talk about it as we go. And so we saw in chapter two, we saw Elijah taken into heaven. Elisha becomes the prophet in his space. And immediately, it m- maybe we ought to talk about this for just a minute. the The prophet was an office and there were people that filled that office. And so, just like the high priest, the high priest couldn't live forever, and he couldn't continue being the high priest forever, there would be a successor that would come behind him, that there would always be somebody in the office of high priest there that's able to minister and serve the people in things pertaining to God. That was put in order by God himself, that there would always be a go-between here in the old testament well it's the same for the prophet Um, Elijah was the prophet he was the prophet but Elijah is now gone God has carried him to heaven and so well there's no prophet now but that office is going to be fulfilled by Elisha God has a man in order and in line to come right in behind him and continue to deliver the word of God and that is that is the divine providence of God Almighty providing a means for his people to receive and to hear and to know the word of God. And how wonderful that it is that God's mindful of us to, to provide that. But God immediately now, it, it doesn't take a year or six months for this to become evident that this was God's work. Elisha doesn't have to practice in order to become a prophet like Elijah. But God has called him, God has equipped him, and God is going to bear witness to this very fact that God has done these works and this is indeed the prophet of Israel. And you know, the the office of the prophet, it's the power of God that makes the difference. No doubt, there was a lot of people that had great affection and love For Elijah the man because of the mighty works that God had done through him but it's important to always remember that those were works that God done through him and just because Elijah's gone does not mean the power of God has come to an end God can work and operate through Elisha double so what he does through Elijah, and we'll see that as we study as well. It's God that makes the difference, and so God is going to bear witness that Elisha is my man. I have called him. He is my choice, and I've equipped him to do this immediately, and as soon as Elijah's gone into heaven, his mantle drops to the ground. Elisha picks that up, and parts the river Jordan. And God says, This is my man. Right there. Those sons of the prophets, they were looking. When they saw that, they said, Behold, the spirit of Elijah is upon Elisha. Elisha has received the same anointing of God that Elijah had upon him. And that's the witness today that men of God and preachers of the gospel, they, they, they should and we won't even say should, they will have. If God calls them to that office and to that job, God will equip them and bear witness. Anybody can holler. Anybody can talk for 30 minutes or 10 minutes. Anybody can make a racket and, and act like, but boy, only those that God calls have the evidence and witness of the Spirit of God upon them. And God bears witness to the prophet Elisha. And so he's established and we saw he sweetened the waters and we saw that God brought bear out of the woods and rent those young men that were mocking him. God says, there's no making fun. There's no mocking. This is my man and I've chosen him to be that way. So we come to chapter 3. And we're going to hear some familiar names here. Maybe we'll start, uh we'll read the first three verses to begin with. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. For he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved under the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not from therefrom. And so uh, Jehoram is going to step in. This is Ahaziah's brother and Ahab's son. He's going to step in to be the king now of Israel. And he's going to reign 12 years. And he is also a contemporary with Jehoshaphat, you remember Jehoshaphat, that godly king of the southern tribe, Judah, and he was the one that went to war with Ahab and said, is there not a prophet? Well, here we see him again, and uh, Jehoram is gonna come in and step in as the king of Israel. And the Bible says he's evil. He is a wicked man. He's not a man, and, and you think about it like this, and this is the way that I think we ought to read evil, a lot of times we get a great outward sense of evil when we read that about somebody. But the truth is to be evil is to reject God as the supreme authority and to reject his word as guide and directive for our life. So Jehoram is not a man that is serving the living God of Israel. He's not one that is devoted to the word of God. He's not worried about the service of God. But the Bible also says that he's not as evil as Ahab and Jezebel. What a testimony to Ahab and Jezebel that God gives here. My God, here's here's a wicked king, but boy, he's not as wicked as they were. And so God says he's not as wicked because he puts away the image of Baal. You know, you think about it now. Here's Jehoram. He saw his brother be destroyed and removed from the kingdom. And he saw his father be destroyed and removed from the kingdom. He saw the judgments of God come upon Israel because of Baal and Baal worship. So he naturally says, well, I better put this away. I better not serve this God anymore because uh, this has brought judgment and trouble upon the people but we know this now as well he put away the image and maybe that was in the kingdom or however that was but when Jehu comes Israel's still going to be serving Baal so it was not a thorough reform nor was it a turning to God either Um, he puts away some of his evil I, I think you could say it like this in modern day language he says I'm going to do better I'm gonna put away some of my sin. I'm gonna put away some of this evil. But there's no real repentance and regeneration and turning to God that takes place. It's, it's just an outward doing better. And God says, nevertheless, he cleaved to the sins of Jeroboam. So those sins, we've talked about that before. When the kingdom split, Jeroboam was established as a king as of the northern tribes of Israel. And Jeroboam says, I, I don't want my people to go down to Judah and to Jerusalem to worship God on these feast days. He said, I'm gonna build these two calves. I'm gonna put them in Dan and in uh, Bethel and my people can go worship that as God and not return to Jerusalem. And this caused great idolatry. He established idolatry in Israel that was there from his day All the way to the day that they carried him out, carried the, the nation captive, and you never read of them again. God destroys them. My God, how careful we ought to be with what we teach and what we establish in our lives to our children, because that can cause a great detriment to their lives. And so Jehoram, he's going to remove Baal, not destroy, not break in pieces, not do uh, not completely do away with, but he's going to put it away. We're going to put it back in the closet. You never know. We may need that again one day. So there's no repentance or turning to God. He's still an evil king, but he's doing better. But friends, doing better. Though I may put away half of my sin, I've still got sin. That's not good enough to be accepted with God. Man's got in his mind, well, we're doing better, we're all right. And my God, how far we are from the righteousness of God. Doing better will not bring man to God. So the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. So Jeroboam's sin made others to sin as well. His influence led other people away. And that happens, that happens in families. It happens in uh, teachers at school. Uh, it, it happens in professors at college. It happens with great scientists. It happens in preachers and pulpits. They err in the doctrines and the word of God and their error causes error in other people. And you know, that's that's a terrible thing, but it happens. And Jeroboam's sin caused Israel to sin And here, years later, Jehoram is following in the same sin. He's still falling down and worshiping these golden calves, thinking that he's worshiping God. And so verse 4, And Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep master, and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. But it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And the king, Jehoram, went out of Samaria the same time and numbered all Israel. So let's stop right there for just a second. So when Ahab died, now Ahab didn't just die. Ahab died several days ago here in this text. And we see that Ahaziah, had stepped in as king in his place. So when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled, Ahaziah didn't do anything about it. He just sat on the bed of ease. He wasn't going to be bothered. He was going to allow all of this tribute and, you know, they, the kingdoms would become vassals of other kingdoms. This kingdom had more power, more might, and more strength. Therefore, the other kingdom would pay tax to them for their protection and for their alliance. Moab was paying tribute to Israel and Israel would protect and ally with them to prevent them from being destroyed. (coughs) I'm sorry. So when Ahab died, Moab rebels and says, we're not going to pay tax to you anymore. We don't need you. We'll destroy you if we need to. Ahaziah does nothing about it. He can't be bothered with it. But a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with wool—that's quite a significant sum. And you know, if if you're the king and you allow them to stop paying, and another nation says, "Well, they stopped," I'm going to stop. Before long, you're not going to have any income, and you're not going to have a kingdom either. So Jehoram recognizes this, he's gonna be the king and he says, I'm, I'm gonna go out to battle and we're gonna bring them back into subjection and they're gonna pay their taxes to us and that's the way it's gonna be. So uh, he sends out in Numbers Israel in verse seven, and he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Will thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered the way through the wilderness of Edom. And the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. And they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So he he's going to now, he's numbered Israel, he's ready for battle, but he calls Jehoshaphat. Remember Ahab also called Jehoshaphat for help. And Jehoshaphat answered the same way to Ahab as well. He said, my people are your people. We'll go to battle. We'll be there with you. We'll support you. Jehoshaphat wasn't holding a grudge for the past when uh, the northern tribes split and rebelled against the house of David. But Jehoshaphat's willing to go and fight. And perhaps to his detriment again here, he's willing to do so. But God's going to do a mighty work here as well and so they take counsel and it looks like jehoram says we're going to go up through the wilderness of edom this is the way we're going to go and uh, and it's worth noting as well that there's three kings here israel calls judah judah says i'll go and edom comes as well so it must have been that edom and judah were vassals one with another in the same way that moab was a vassal to Israel. So when Judah goes to battle, Edom, they get prepared and they go to battle with Judah. Um, so these three allied nations now are going to war with Moab who are um, rebelling against the rule of Israel. And you know, a, a common enemy, Moab was an enemy for Israel and he was an enemy for Judah. So they come together to fight this common enemy and this rebel against Almighty God. And so they go seven days journey, they've got no water. You think about the cheapest resource that can be found is water. My God, how how easy it is to come by water in the creeks, in the watersheds, in the springs, but how that God has tied us to that and without that, without that cheap resource that God has put on the earth and provided for us, without that, even mighty kings and armies can quickly be humbled and brought down. God doesn't have to bring a great catastrophe to humble the heart of men. He doesn't bring a great military defeat, but they've just got no water and they're about to perish without it. You know, man man is an amazing being, but my, how, how frail and how easily brought down that man really is. And here God brings them down and humbles their hearts and causes them to cry for lack of water. But I want you to notice as well, what the king of Israel, Jehoram, what he says, the Lord's called us together to deliver us to Moab. Oh, this is the Lord's fault. How often is it that trouble comes and it's God's fault that the troubles come? Why has God done this to me? And perhaps it's some recognition to the sovereignty and the power of Almighty God that God's in control of all things he does as he pleases. And that's very true. But for a a king now who is not subject unto God, who doesn't care about God, who's not interested in worshiping God, None of those things are true about Jehoram. He's a wicked and an evil king who doesn't mind the things of God. And yet when trouble comes, it's God's fault. It's not my fault that I've sinned. It's not my fault that I've not been as I ought to be. No, it's God's fault. There is the corruption of the thinking of man. He's not going to repent at this but he's gonna accuse God and point his finger and say, God, this is your fault. Why have you done this? And so in verse 11, Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Sound familiar? This same man in Ahab's day said, we'd better talk to the Lord before we go to battle. And Ahab brought out all of his prophets. And they prophesied good. And the same man, Jehoshaphat, said, what about a prophet of the Lord? Is is there not, I believe you could say it like this, is there not a real prophet here that we can listen to? Now that's what the world is in need of today. That's what churches are in need of today. Because there's a lot of actors. There's a lot of false prophets. There's a lot of those that are false teachers that are stirred up by the flesh and the God's truth is the devil into that office. Though intentions may be good, they're not of the Lord. Jehoshaphat says, look, we're in trouble. We need the Lord's help. We don't need to point our finger at God. We need to inquire at God and say, God, by some great mercy, would you be mindful of us and help us Because Jehoram, we've got no other hope. If God doesn't help us, we're going to be destroyed. Now there's the right mindset. Jehoram says God's done this and God's looking to kill us. Jehoshaphat says we need to inquire at God and seek God's help. Now there's a right response and there's a wrong response. That's the same with the gospel today. There is a response of obedience and submission to the preaching of the gospel that results in salvation. We're almost there in Romans in Sunday school. I guess by the time this episode comes out, we'll have passed that in Romans chapter 10. But There's a a right response and there's a wrong response. So this trouble has come, and if you'll look at it like that, God's brought them to this place. You've got one man responding that's coming to pray to God for assistance and for help, and you've got another man that says, God, this this is all your fault. What is the difference in the response from these two men? Now, if you say today, well, the right response is from people that are better and smarter and more intelligent, that are more godly and more righteous and more pure. And those that reject the gospel, they're from people that are dumb and ignorant and backwards and uh, evil and wicked. Well, the truth is the word of God has clumped all together, Jew and Gentile, bond and free, Uh, good and evil, and, and those words are in the sight of man, those that man would say is good, those that man would say is evil, they're all lumped together, and they're all said to be corrupt and evil before God. And if my positive response to the gospel is because I'm intelligent or in some way better and this other fellow's negative response to the gospel is because he's somehow less than me, then I can boast in my faith that I have had over this man who rejected it because I am in some way better. But if it's by the grace of God, then I've got nothing that I can boast in. If my affirmative response to the gospel is because of something God's done, in me, then how can I boast? Jehoshaphat's not looking to boast. No, God has wrought in his heart this word of God. And if you think about it, in the parables, uh, Matthew 13, that, that great chapter of parables of the Lord Jesus, Jesus said, "'It's given to you to know the mysteries, "'but unto them it's not given.'" And so as these parables are coming out, the disciples are hearing and understanding one thing and the other people are hearing and understanding something different. One is seeing the mystery and the other, it's hidden. It's not because the disciples' education level is higher. It's because of the grace of God that worketh in them. And know this, any response to the gospel for salvation, for repentance is brought about by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. So one of the king of Israel's servants, let me start back at the start of verse 11. Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here, is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Now here, you talk about divine providence. Now it looks to me like, and I I believe this is right, these kings have come together to go to war. They've went seven days into the wilderness of Edom, and they've got no water, and they're dying of thirst, and they're perishing because of it. They're in in dire need of water. <clears throat> and this Jehoshaphat says, we need to inquire of the Lord. We need somebody that can get a hold of God because it wasn't available to everybody then. There was a prophet. Well, now I'm going to tell you that we can't go to God without a prophet either. The Lord Jesus is our prophet. He's our priest and he's our king. We come to God only through and by him and his sacrifice and his salvation in our life. Well, Elisha is that here. And notice where Elisha is. They don't say, let's go back to Israel and find him. Let's go back to Judah and find him. But they say, let's inquire of the Lord and lo and behold, in the midst of the group is the man of God. And you know, that that wasn't sought by any of these kings. None of them came to Elisha and said, go with us to war. This must have been by divine direction of God that God revealed to Elisha that he needed to go with these kings. God, before there was ever a need, before the kings ever called out to him for a need, God said, Elisha, go with them. They're going to need you and they're gonna seek me, and I'm gonna provide them a means to seek. Now, isn't that good? I mean, the divine providence of God Almighty, before God ever produces a need, he puts us in a place that we can hear the gospel, that we can seek his face, and that we can be helped. God has divinely provided for these folks as well, God wasn't waiting on them to call before he sent Elisha. God's got Elisha with him because he knows they're going to call. That's the divine wisdom, knowledge, and plan of God. And of a truth now, I believe you can see this as well, it is God's working that's brought them to this place without water. God's brought them to the need. God has already provided a means for an answer, and God has already ordained the means for the fix. God brought all of this to be so that in the hearts of these kings, God could be glorified. And when victory comes, it's not going to be told, I mean, we're reading about it right here in the word of God, amazing, isn't it? These kings are not going to go home and say, boy, we whooped out the sword and we showed them boys how to fight, and we whooped their hind ends, and they're going to get the credit. No, when this story's going to be retold, it's going to be, boy, we went out in the wilderness and didn't have any water, but God had his man with us, and God provided us water, and you know, we really didn't even have to fight that hard of a battle, because God brought a victory as well. you know who's going to get all the glory for it? God Almighty is going to get all the glory. So I think that would help us in understanding doctrines. If our doctrine does not somehow produce every ounce and shred of the glory of salvation and deliverance to God, then our doctrine is wrong because God works all things to His glory and honor. The Bible says he will not give his glory to another. This is God's glory. God's going to be exalted. God's going to be honored. It's a wonderful thing. If God had just let them go up and fight and win, they'd have said it's by the might of our military. It's by the strength of our hand. It's the same that it would be in salvation. If God sent the gospel And it was up to man and man done by his strength and his wisdom. Man would stand up and say, we won this victory. We won this salvation by our might and by our strength and by our understanding. But because it's only by the call and the the leadership of the grace of God that man comes, it's only God that can be glorified for it. And there's no glory left for me to take. And so it said Elisha, Elisha is here. He is amongst the camp. God has provided for us a means that we can inquire of him. Wonderful. And notice how it's described of him. Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah and Elijah and Elisha were really prophets to the northern ten tribes. May have never heard of Elisha before, I I don't know. But Elisha is described as the one that poured water on the hands of Elijah. He was Elijah's servant. He was brought up, and certainly Jehoshaphat, he knew Elijah. He knew the word of his power and his strength and his might in the power of God so it said of elisha he he was brought up under the tutelage and as a servant to elijah and there he's learned how to serve god i think a lot of times that's overlooked why is there a church that we might as paul wrote to timothy that we might take these things that's been committed unto us and teach them unto godly men, who shall be able to teach others also. We are equipping a generation that they might teach the next generation, and that that generation might teach the next, and that the understanding and the knowledge of the doctrines of God might be passed on from one generation to the next. And that's what happened here with Elijah and Elisha. And that testimony, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Boy, you talk about humble. Here are kings now and they've been brought to such a pitiful estate. They're not sending servants. They're not sending captains to Elisha in order to get help, but they're going down in person unto him. They're coming down from being king and ruler and giving commandment, and they're gonna come down and come to the prophet of God and say, look, we can't help ourselves here. You're gonna be our king now. Give us the word and direction of God and let us be servants unto God not that they were Elisha's servants. Indeed, in the structure of the kingdom, Elisha was their subject, and they were Elisha's king. But in the word of God, they were servants to the word of God that God brought through Elisha. And so while they were not Elisha's servants, they were servants to the word that only Elisha could speak and they're gonna come down to this man as his servants that they might hear the word and the direction of God for them that they might have deliverance that always happens God brings the high and the mighty and the wise and the strong and those with authority and those with power God brings them down to the place of a beggar that they would seek God's face for deliverance. God's able to bring us to such a place that the most hardened and rebellious sinner would seek his face. We'll stop right there and pick up there next time. I hope this word of God has been a help to you. And we pray that God would bless you mightily with his wisdom, with his understanding in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love each one of you through him. Pray for us.